we did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by Root Metrics for the 16th time in a row, proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network, Verizon. Best and most reliable based on Root Metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined, not specific to 5G networks. We did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by Root Metrics for the 16th time in a row, proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network, Verizon. Best and most reliable based on Root Metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined, not specific to 5G networks. Hi everyone, this is Marlene with Miami Ghost Chronicles and I want to welcome you to another episode of Stories of the Supernatural. If you're watching it on the internet or listening to a podcast version of the show, make sure to subscribe so that you get notified when a new show is released. And if you'd like to find links to videos or mp3 files, just go to MiamiGhostChronicles.com and you can also submit any eerie experiences you've had at the Submit Your Story tab. Also, hook up with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram where you can find information not only about new shows, but also about monthly free merchandise giveaways. So, get comfortable, enjoy this new episode, and just imagine it's a dark and stormy night where not a creature is stirring, not even a mouse. And if a creature is stirring, you hope it's a mouse. Over the years, I've had several ghost stories sent to me, and it's these quaint and subtle stories of hauntings that I find so fascinating because you realize that ghosts make their presence known in the most mundane of settings, and sometimes it's only in hindsight that we realize exactly what we were experiencing. I've excluded surnames and exact addresses in order to protect the privacy of families. The following is some of these stories. Uncle Charles, this one, I received it back in 2010. My family owns an old home in rural Davie. The tiny home was hand-built by my great-uncle via marriage, a person I have never met. His name was Charles C., and he and his wife Betty lived there. He was said to be a nice man, and you can see easily how much he loved his home. Betty C. was an Alzheimer's victim, and Charles cared for her himself. He was putting a new roof on the home one day when he fell ill and came inside to lie down. He suffered a heart attack in the tiny hallway and passed away. Betty, being in a poor state of mind, stepped over his body for two or three days before neighbors came in to investigate. Having not seen Charlie, they broke down the front door and found him deceased. The spooky, if you can call them that, events came later. My father lived there for some time and claimed to have seen him a few times. He moved out and some time later I was preparing to move in. My husband and I came one evening to begin moving a few items in and while he was putting things in the outdoor sheds, I was bringing items into the guest bedroom. I walked through that small hallway many times and although I knew Charles had died in the house, I was not aware he had died in that hallway. As I continued to walk in and out, through the hall and past the darkened master bedroom into the smaller room, 
I felt watched. And this may sound weird, but in my head I heard someone saying, who are you? What are you doing here? I didn't hear anything aloud. The words just popped into my mind. I got a really creepy feeling and wouldn't go back in alone. During our time living there, it was mostly peaceful with a few minor exceptions. Occasionally, when wearing a dress, I felt someone tug at the back of it, something I am told Charles did to his wife often. Another time, we had a weird experience in the middle of the night. The lights in the shed had stopped working, and we couldn't figure out why. Weeks passed, and we ignored it, using a flashlight if need be. One night, I heard noises out in the yard and peeked out to see one shed light on, the door open and noises coming from in it. I woke my husband who grabbed our only weapon, an old BB gun, and went out to check. No one was there and we couldn't figure out how the light got on, nor could we figure out how to turn it off. We never knew which switch would correct it and none responded. Eventually the light just went off again. We don't get along with my uncle particularly well and we moved after two years to Tamarack, Florida. My father and sister live there once again now and haven't reported anything too odd. The idea being that Charlie knows who they are. We've never tried to get his attention, but I feel strongly that any attempt to do so would be successful. Haunted condo in Northwest Miami. This also is dated from 2010. I'd like you to look into a condominium, which is where I used to live approximately six years ago. The only words I can use to explain the place is infested. While living there, at least five people died. And about one year ago, a man shot himself in the head and died on the first floor. And another lady was murdered in the elevator. The one prominent entity in that apartment building was a dark shadowy figure of a man which seemed to have a negative origin. Lucky me, I was the only one in the apartment that he never had an encounter with. I heard about it on a daily basis from my sisters who constantly had to deal with it. It seemed that the smaller of the two bedrooms, which was where both my sisters slept, was where all the activity was. On one occasion, me and my mother woke up due to the sound of my sister screaming as if someone was attacking her. Well, when we reached the room, she was screaming about something pulling on her legs, and we did see her struggling with it. My other sister, on the other hand, was sound asleep. As soon as we turned on the light, nothing was going on at all. They also reported seeing this figure walk behind them while they were fixing themselves up in the mirror, or seeing it sit on their beds. Although the figure did seem evil, it never was violent with any of us. It only basically pulled practical jokes and, of course, the occasional scare. On one occasion, a friend of my sister saw it sitting on the couch in the living room where we had to proceed with leaving the apartment and taking her home. She never stepped foot back in that apartment. The halls of that place also had the quality of making you feel as if someone is watching you or following you. It gave you that numb feeling in your eyes that you get when you're afraid. Of my many encounters, I only had a handful there. One encounter was with a huge man, completely white. I know he had features and was wearing some sort of clothing, and he didn't seem threatening in the least bit, but I still ran away because, of course, I see this man 
I don't recognize in my house, and I'm like seven years old at the time, so I ran. I also had to change the location of where I slept because I felt such a negative feeling where I was sleeping. Also, I would stay in my sister's room every so often, which I heavily regret, as I would experience lights flickering on and off and loud noises coming from the kitchen as if someone was looking through the drawers. It never failed. The noise always happened, but it could only be heard from the smaller bedroom. Although we dealt with it for almost six years, we never inquired on the history of that apartment. Apartment near UCF campus. This one is from 2011. This is something that happened last year while visiting my friend's Valerie while she was living on her own in Orlando. She was up there for school and her parents bought her a one-bedroom apartment near the UCF campus. The buildings looked pretty new, but you could tell they were renovated, especially when you went into the elevators. Anyway, we were spending the weekend there with her, with a bunch of our other friends, to go to Halloween Horror Nights at Universal Studios. The night was a bit freaky to begin with. While I was taking a shower and getting ready to go, the towel that I used and had hung on the rack behind me started to move like if there was a strong wind blowing at it. Mind you, there is no window in the bathroom and no air from an air conditioning could have moved a wet towel that way. I didn't think much of it and just went on getting ready. I was almost done and went to grab my lipstick from the counter where I had set it down just moments before and it was gone. I checked everywhere, on the floor, all over the counter and in my purse. I know I wasn't going crazy, so I called in my husband to check the bathroom for me as well. Maybe I was missing something, but he could not find it either. I said forget it and just went out into the living room. Valerie was taking a shower next. She walked into the bathroom and found my towel on the floor. She scolded me for not picking it up and throwing it behind the toilet. I told her that I had left it hanging on the door, which is on the opposite end of the bathroom nowhere near the toilet. We both looked at each other and I saw a look of discontent in her eyes and I knew she knew something more than she was letting on. I left her in the bathroom and she asked us not to come into the room since she was scared and wanted to leave the door to the bathroom open. Only a few minutes passed when she came screaming out of the tub in her room naked and grabbing a towel off her bed. We ran to see what was going on and she had three scratch marks, or rather someone or something had clawed on her back. The cuts were somewhat deep and she was bleeding very badly. Another friend that was there helped her clean up while my husband and I looked inside the tub, wondering if maybe it could have been something that she had brushed up against that could have scratched her like that. When I opened the shower curtain to look into the tub, I almost fainted when I saw my lipstick sitting on the lower rim of the tub. I didn't even want to pick it up. We walked back into the room and Valerie confessed that there had been some weird things happening since two weeks before when she and her friends from school decided to play with incantations and spells out of a book that belonged to one of the girl's aunts. She said that the week before we came, she woke up in the middle of the night to her stereo coming on all of a sudden. And then when she came back to her room, her bed had a large pool of rancid smelling clear liquid. She slept the rest of the night 
in the living room with her dog. Occasionally her dog would wake up and start growling towards her bedroom. The next day she went out and bought a new mattress since hers smelled horrible. When she got home there was a black feather on her dresser and it smelled like something rotten as well. After talking with her about the events of the past few days, we told her that if there was a spirit there she needed to communicate with it and tell it to please go away. We all sat in her living room the next afternoon and she tried it. Almost instantly there was a loud sound almost like a shatter that came from her bathroom. We all ran to see and her mirror had split in two and one side crashed down as we looked at it shattering into little bits all over the bathroom floor. That was the last day she stayed in her apartment. She moved in temporarily with a friend while the apartment went up for sale and she hasn't been back there since. She still even has the scars on her back as an eerie reminder of what happened those two weeks. Ghost in the Hospital. This one was received in December of 2011. In North Miami off 441, just off the Cloverleaf Interchange, an abandoned hospital sits off the expressway. The best view of the hospital comes from the Palmetto Expressway as you get on the highway from 163rd Street. A friend of mine was working security there for a short period of time, so some of us went to visit him. He would sit on the first floor right next to the morgue. Keep in mind the hospital is completely empty except for some equipment. My security guard friend told us stories of how the place was haunted and how he heard weird noises during the night. One story he spoke of was of a woman who was giving birth but had to be taken to the OR to deliver. The story goes the woman died during the birth but to this day she still roams around on the second floor in search of her baby. On two occasions we roamed the hospital taking a look around and let me tell you the feeling was a scary one. We walked through the OR on the second floor and we walked through the emergency room and cafeteria and it was freaky. But the scariest moment happened on my second visit. My friend and I rode the elevators to different floors inside and we would mess around by trying to leave each other out of the elevator. Some floors were lit up while others were pitch black. We ended up on one floor and got out of the elevator. I can't remember which floor that was. The hallway had a linoleum tile like in schools. We were about a quarter of the way down the hall when we heard the noise of someone screeching their shoes against the door as if they were walking. The thing was, no one else was in the hallway but us. The scary part is that noise kept getting close as if the person was walking towards us. So we hauled ass and made our way into the stairwell and closed the door behind us. As we made our way down the stairs toward the first floor and exit, we heard the sound into the stairwell. That sent goosebumps down my spine. I was totally spooked after that incident. I never returned. To this day, if you drive by the hospital, different room lights are lit. But it's impossible since someone is turning on the lights because the hospital is empty. So, who's doing it? Ghosts at the Biltmore Hotel. This one is dated from May of 2012. It was a warm August night back in 1999. My friends and I decided to go see the Biltmore Hotel in Coral Gables. So we parked at our friend's house that lived a block away. Then we proceeded towards the huge landmark. 
We walked in like as if we owned the place, right by the bellboy and the front desk straight to the back of the hotel and then outside. There were five of us, including myself. Two of my friends stayed at the golf course, just talking as I and my other two friends crept into the utility elevator in the back. We pressed the third floor, which then takes you to the main elevators. We got to the third floor, then found the other elevators. I was surprised to see the elevator to the far left leads to the tower. We got on that and pressed the infamous 13th floor. It didn't light up. We then took the elevator to the lobby, but before getting to the lobby, it stopped on the seventh floor. The doors opened. We stood still for a couple of seconds, and then the doors closed. Why it stopped at the seventh floor, who knows? We got to the lobby, but before we were able to walk out, a man with a suitcase walks in and asks, going up? We said, yeah, and stayed inside. The man's destination was the 14th floor. He slid a special key into the elevator, which gives access to the tower floors. He asked what floor we were headed to. I kept a poker face and said, 13, please. He pressed it and it lit. We got to the 13th floor and the doors opened. We thanked the man and proceeded outside. The 13th floor is not like the other floors. It is more like a 10-foot enclosure with double doors facing you. We tried opening the doors, but they were locked. So we decided to call on the elevator. We stood waiting and it sounded like rain falling down the elevator shaft. We decided to go back down to the lobby, but before we got to the lobby floor, the elevator automatically took us to the seventh floor again. We got spooked then and decided to get off on that floor and take the stairs to the bottom. We told our friends outside what had happened and they didn't believe us. So we all went back and took the elevator to the 12th floor, got off and took the stairs to the tower. We passed the exit to the 13th floor. We got to the exit on the 14th and it was locked. We got to the 15th floor and opened the door. To your right, there's a door labeled Merrick Suite. We opened it and went inside. It was dark, but through the darkness, you could tell it was a detailed and beautiful room. We noticed that there was two windows opposite from each other. One was facing the front of the hotel and the other facing the rear towards the golf course. These windows were enormous, about 10 feet high. We also noticed that we were in a sitting room. There were more rooms inside the actual suite, two on one side and one on the other. We walked into the first dark room, turned on the light and felt the temperature difference immediately. It was really cold in that room despite the fact that all rooms were served by the same air conditioning system. One of my friends was going to open the closet, but I told him not to touch anything. We heard a noise coming from the elevator area. We all froze, looked at each other, and ran down the stairs to the lobby. My legs were in pain. Imagine running 15 flights down. Somewhere on our trek down the stairs, we left two of our guys behind, so we took the elevator back to the 12th floor and took the stairs to the 15th again. We were just nosy because we still hadn't found our other two friends that we had gone back for. We walked back into the room we were in and as I remembered we had left the lights on. However, to our surprise, the lights were off. We paid it no attention and opened the room next to it. This room faced the corner of the hotel 
It, too, was dark, but one could see the beds were unmade, which we thought was pretty weird. We walked into the last room across, which had double doors. We were shocked to find the room lit. We closed the doors and exited the suite. We decided to go back down, but used the elevator this time. Again, as we waited, we heard sounds of hard rain, which definitely caught our attention. The doors soon opened, and we all let out a shriek when we found our other two friends inside. We all ran into the elevator and pressed lobby, but it took us to the seventh floor again. What was it with the seventh floor? We also noticed that it was ice cold on that floor. We waited for the doors to close and went to the lobby. We walked back out into the golf course and looked up to the window at the Merrick suite. We saw what seemed to be the shape of a person looking straight down at us. We all stopped and stared, and one of my friends gave a suggestion by saying it was probably a vase or something, but I knew that wasn't a vase. We walked the damp golf course grass just to walk off our scare. We walked to the end and turned around heading back to the hotel. I knew we were going back a different way too. Something gave me the feeling to look back at the grass behind us. To my shock, there was more than a couple of footprints. Let's do the math now. Five guys equal 10 sets of footprints, right? Well, someone explained to me why there was at least 20 footprints going in all directions right behind us. We knew the prints weren't there before because in front of us the grass was perfectly smooth. So we all take one step at a time. When we took about two steps together, I turned around again the zigzag steps, about 15 or more of them. We all ran out of the grounds and didn't stop until we got to my car, where we went home never doubting that the Biltmore is haunted. Haunted House in Miami Lakes. This is dated from 2003. This is an excerpt from the email I received concerning this site. Hi, there's another story that came to mind from years ago. There is a house in Miami Lakes, exact address omitted, on the golf course. Hard to miss since it's big and made of brick. I believe Casey from the Sunshine Band lived there in the 70s, and after that it was owned by a drug dealer who died. When I was in junior high, a classmate of mine said his mother was a real estate agent and had been showing the house. Every time she brought someone by the place, it was freezing inside, although the thermostat was not on. He also claimed there was a painting of the dealer left in the house along with an urn containing his ashes. While this last part may have been fabricated, I am certain that the dealer did, in fact, live there. I personally, after receiving this email, got in my vehicle, uh, since I did have the exact location, and I went there. And I took a picture, and imagine my surprise to see that the property was actually up for sale at the time that I went by. It was empty. There was nobody living there. Uh, so despite ha 20 years having passed from the time that the writer of the original email to the day I went had gone by, it still couldn't keep tenants. Then I did receive other emails from other people. I received another one uh, from 2005. Hey, I read about the brick house in Miami Lakes, and it is very true what you said about it. It can never keep an owner. My friend used to live in the houses right by there and we always used to walk by there when we would walk her dog and that house was always 
up for sale. It was for sale for a really long time until it was bought. But I would say we saw people live there for about a couple of months until they moved out. Miami Springs Haunted Mansion. I received emails concerning this location since 2002. I'd received several emails concerning this site. It was part of the Pueblo style housing that was the original master plan for Miami Springs. The house is empty now and the major part of it has been fenced off. Stories connected to it are red lights throughout the house, a man playing in the tennis court, and unaccounted sounds. When I took these pictures because I went out there and I was able to take some pictures. It was mid-afternoon and as is the case when you go to a haunted site at this time everything seems very ordinary. I did receive other emails about this location and after 30 years of sitting abandoned and uh, basically subject to vandalism it was renovated and now it's a venue but this didn't happen till 2012. The following is a little bit of history about this haunted location. It's called the Curtis uh, Mansion. And depending on which high school you went to in Miami, you probably heard different versions of the story. One popular legend has it that the builder, which was, his name was Glenn Curtis, was a jealous man who killed himself upon finding out about his wife's affair with his friend. Thus his spirit stayed behind, haunting the Curtis Mansion for eternity. Other legends point out there was a grand fire that broke out while that mansion was being used as a daycare and multiple small children died. In truth, uh, Mr. Curtis died back in 1930 and even though he lived there, he uh, was on a trip in New York and he suffered a, the attack of appendicitis and he died kind of young in his 50s. His wife did survive him and she did. It, that part is true. She did go on to marry one of his friends but as far as uh, him killing himself there's no truth to that one. Uh, some locals even spin rumors that there have been murders that took place in the grounds of the Curtis Mansion. Although this could very well be exaggeration, spending a few minutes inside its walls sure does seem very eerie and creepy. Uh, in the second floor there was a bedroom that was sealed by bricks the speculated rumors were that uh, late at night people would report e either hearing laughs of small children uh, or somebody who's perished in the fire because there was a fire that took place there but I believe this was after it was already empty. An odd basement with a narrow stairway leading to it has all sorts of odd drawings depicting the devil's pentagram and Nazi symbols. It was a common sight to see scores of kids run out of the mansion after encountering something spooky. People are certain of hearing a loud pitch scream in the middle of the mansion after sweeping the area and making sure it was empty. And again, this location was um, abandoned for many, many years. It was the wife of Mr. Curtis, she kept it, but then eventually sold it and again, as far as the weird drawings, that happens a lot with abandoned locations. These are some of the emails that I received uh, after I had posted and been out there. Uh, one of them reads, this house was definitely haunted. 
I lived there for years and had dishes fall out of cupboards, heard people in the long, dark front hallway with uh, the front door locked, saw images in the Florida room and watched in disbelief things move in the master closet and heard the front door slamming and it was locked. Also little black blobby beings in the Florida room. Asked the Spanish fellow that works for the city water department that serviced the house before Hurricane Andrew, what he knows. And of course, Hurricane Andrew came through in 1992. Yes, yeah, so during that time, I don't know how this person was living there. Maybe they were a caretaker, but at that time, supposedly, yeah, it, it was abandoned. Uh, another person wrote, Hey, I was wondering if you could help me out. I just moved to New York less than a week ago. I lived in Miami all my life. I remember my friends taking me to this manor or mansion that was supposed to be haunted. I can't for the life of me remember the name of it, though. I don't remember exactly where it was, but I do remember that it was located near Triangle Park in Hialeah, Miami, Florida, which is what they're, what they're talking about is the Curtis Mansion. You had to go over a bridge to get there, and it was burnt down. It was a burnt down building that had a golf course on it. Legend has it that the building right behind it was an old insane asylum and some of the people escaped. Story has it they went over to the first building which was used as a ritzy hotel and they burnt it down. The top floor was, according to gossip, a dance room. They also told me that when the building was burnt down there were people in the top floor dancing and that if you manage to sneak into the building now you can hear people dancing above you even though the ground on the top floor was burnt and fell right through. I don't know if you know what manner I'm talking about, but if you don't, I can tell you a few more things I remember. There was what looked like a pond or a canal between the shrubs and overgrown brushes. My friends told me that the whole place always has at least one cop and on Halloween there's reinforcement as far as that goes because tons of kids go and try to break in. Okay, there was another, this is the last, uh, Okay, let me see. I received another email in 2004. Again, this was before it was reopened and renovated, so it was still abandoned. My best friend and I recently went to Glertis, Glenn H. Curtis Mansion in Miami Springs. We read up on the story why Mr. Curtis murdered his wife, which I don't know what they're referring to because that has, he did have two children and one of them died, I think, as an infant and his child and his wife still outlived him and it, there was no murder so I don't know what talk about different rumors getting started about scary places we went out there this evening out of curiosity not out of ignorance out of sheer amazement we videotaped our small journey and we see it for a short moment with a pause the shadow of a human figure it might just be the video camera or whatnot I want to know do you believe is this house haunted my thing is well we did hear the sounds of children or a child one of the other uh, rumors about this house is that um, there's a big tennis court. At least there was a tennis court when I went out there. Couldn't get any closer than a certain, because it had a perimeter fence on it, was that at certain times you would go out there and you would see somebody playing on the tennis. And this is another email I received in 2005. I've been out there a couple of times myself with friends. The mansion was owned by one of the founding fathers of Miami Springs, Glenn Curtis, who allegedly died in the house. Wrong, he didn't die in the house. He was in New York uh, on a trip. One particular night, I went with my friends. We drove into the driveway about 20 feet from the main building and stayed there for about five minutes. The car was still running and the AC in the car was on. I told my friend to turn the AC off. And as soon as I said that, not even after a minute of silence, I heard this real awful scream of a woman's voice. I was not the only one who heard it. And it sounded as if she was standing ever so close to us. 
At that moment, we decided to leave as soon as possible. As to the source of these experiences, uh, in truth, before Mr. Curtis passed away in 1930, him and his wife had several parties out there in the 1920s, the Roaring Twenties. Anything could have happened, but nothing that obviously made the papers. Fast forward, his wife lived there for like 10 years after his death. It was sold and it became the Miami Springs Villas, which was uh, rented out for, as a venue and it had cabanas. And it wasn't until 1988 uh, when it had just changed hands to become a restaurant that a big fire went through it and basically gutted it. And no one was in there. The building was empty. It was a really bad fire, but nobody was killed. And after that is when it stood uh, untenanted and was during this period that a lot of vandalism was carried out. And I think a lot of the urban myths connected to it came about. Now, could there be a haunting? Possibly. Could a large portion of it be wild imaginations and stuff made up? Most probably based on a lot of the stuff that was circulating was made up. But then, of course, like all things in the supernatural, you just never know. Haunted school feel in South Miami. The following uh, pertains to a Catholic high school that was built here in Miami in the late 1950s. And after my initial investigations, it seems this is a cross between an urban legend and a ghost story. Supposedly, this area is haunted by a teenage girl who attended the high school on the grounds. In one version, she died by a drug overdose. It was intentional over a broken heart. And another version was accidental. However, after several years, teenagers are still found in this area after dark looking for her ghost. I would have left this story in the urban legend category if it wasn't for the fact that it came to my attention through two very credible witnesses. They were police officers. A few months ago, they were driving through the grounds late at night as part of their patrol since part of the grounds are very dark and overgrown. And uh, I got this story, I want to say, around 2000, 2001, which I spoke personally firsthand to one of the officers. Uh, he described that they had come up on the area, uh, and one of them, the person, the officer I spoke to, saw what he thought was a light and a person standing in the brush. At this time, he was totally unaware of the story attached to the place. He commented to the other police officer that he didn't know why there were, that there were security guards taking care of the grounds. The other officer, who patrolled this area for a longer time, advised him there were no guards around and never had been. He then told that story a few months back. He had been alone in the squad car doing the exact same thing at night. This is the, the, the one that's saying this story is the older officer who describes that he had been there alone and had come upon three teenagers. When he questioned them about what they were doing there, they told him they were in search of the girl's ghost. The same officer then remembered his own wife had attended this high school about 15 years before, and even then, the story was being circulated. The officer who had seen something stated to me he was positive he had seen someone standing in the brush. But he wasn't startled or surprised because he thought it was a security guard walking through the area on his rounds. However, when his partner told him the story, he said that every hair on his head stood on end, short as they are, and he couldn't wait to get out of there, especially after they had shone their headlights and searchlights into the area 
and there was no one or nothing there. Now, as an aside to this story, I myself have gone there at night. I haven't seen anything. Um, again, whether this story is true, part of urban myth, who knows? I do believe definitely the officer that told me what he saw because this person is very, very down to earth. Now, I do want to mention that adjacent as basically they share the same grounds you could walk from one to the other is a large Catholic hospital again has been there for many many years could what he saw have been something supernatural that really was had come over from the hospital very possibly as a matter of fact I do think that this is most probably what it was even though I've heard other versions of where the spirit of this girl has been mistaken for in other words has been seen in the daytime um, in that area which is adjacent to the playing field of the high school or she has even been mistaken for a live student apparently she's that solid so I don't know what he saw which one it was where it falls to but that there possibly is something out there yes and that it's been going on for a lot of years absolutely so again these are some of the stories uh, that I received throughout the years as to uh, hauntings in South Florida part urban myth part truth who knows where one ends and the other one starts for the ones going above and beyond for the ones reaching out helping out and lending a hand for the ones people count on you can count on Granger. Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, backed by 24-7 customer support and specialists to help with hard-to-find products. Because you've got everyone's back, we've got yours. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. We did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by Root Metrics for the 16th time in a row. Proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network. Verizon. Best and most reliable based on root metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined. Not specific to 5G networks.